am Pastor Irene, and I am very excited. Oh, do you believe that God would orchestrate, this is how awesome God is, that I would get to preach the book of Acts. I don't know if there's any quizzers in the house, but book of Acts in the cycle of five is the best book of all of the quizzing in the cycle. And my mom was the best at teaching it. I am so grateful that this verse, this chapter, was put, uh, this book of the Bible was put in Pastor Lloyd's heart all the way back in January when he was on sabbatical. Isn't that crazy? That his heart was already in Acts in January, and no, we had no idea what was about to happen. Everything changed after, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, he got a call and messed up everything. But, uh, well... <laughs> But how could I possibly know as we were going through this change and who's going to be available to cover the Sundays, we're literally going by our availability. Well, I can do this week, I can do this week, and I can do this week. And my availability just happened to fall on the verse that I literally quote every week at dinner church. We are, this is for them, church. We are the church. This is the verse that I just fell in love with the church again. I fell in love with my mission. I fell in love with my call. I fell in love with the Nazarene church and why I love being a missionary and having this missionary lifestyle that I get to be a holiness voice in the abandoned, forgotten places of the world because Pentecost broke out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for leaning into prayer, Lord, and doing what God asked you to do. Pastor Brian gave us a huge foundation. It was awesome. And he kind of set up this whole journey through Acts because it's the story, not just the story of the birth of our church, of the church, but it is the story as the church, our story as the church. Does God know how to do a reveal or what? I mean, he's talking about Russian winds, tongues of fire. Woo, everybody thought we were drunk. <laughs> I don't know uh, that anybody thought I was drunk lately, but hey, never know. Uh, they can say a lot of things. <laughs> Pastor Josh helped us understand how to discern the will of God. And he helped us to, with the, just these very basic stakes in the ground that we can be obedient and do what we know God told us to do. And we can be known and marked by prayer and praying into those things that, and seeking God's will. And he also taught us how not to choose our next pastor. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Uh, <laughs> pastor Callie's sermon last week was awesome. Help me understand that God is the best gift giver ever. I know Pastor Austin and uh, Pastor Callie are really great gift givers, but they got nothing on God. And he really knows how to start. A movement. Acts has so much going on. And I just I have to tell you, that, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, hold on to your britches because the rest of the book is just like this. So much happened in the first two chapters that I got to take a step back. And, I, and so far, just taking it all in, I see this cause and effect happening. This cause, this accelerant is the gift, the Holy Spirit, the event called Pentecost that broke out all over. And the effect over the 120 that were waiting obediently in the upper room that verse 4 talked about, that marked, those people were marked by devotion to obedience and prayer. The Holy Spirit encounter. Bam! 
rushing winds, fire, threw Peter out into the streets preaching that the whole community again thought they were drunk in the middle of the day. The cause was that Pentecost broke out. It broke out and affected all the hearers, all the observers of what was going on. And verse 8 and 9 points out something that we sometimes miss. When we look at the, the word of God in our normative spaces, we miss that God was talking, that Jesus, was, the Holy Spirit was speaking through Peter to over 15 different nationalities, ethnicities, and cultures. In that moment, in chapter 2, we have to look at this book in living color because many of them were doing business and they probably knew Greek, but uh, to, to do business, all the different folks that were there and they literally heard the truth. They heard God's voice in their own native tongue, that the Holy Spirit fixed it so that they could hear him, the Father's heart, the word become flesh, this Jesus that everybody was in an uproar about, who had turned, took the city and the, took the region, took the, the countryside, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, rocked it to the place that everybody knew about this Jesus and the effect that it had on the people that came in contact with the truth in the word. And now the Holy Spirit, over the responders in verse 37, the Holy Spirit empowered them to break all social hierarchies. And the people leaned into those teachings, it tells us. Leaned into the teachings of the disciples. Leaned into the heart of the Father. Leaned into the teachings of the very, the, the, what they witnessed with their own eyes. And they got to see what Jesus spent three years trying to help us understand the heart of the Father and what the kingdom is, of heaven is like. How many times did he say the kingdom of heaven is like? The kingdom of heaven is like. He was trying to get us to understand something before he knew he had to go back to the right hand of the Father. He wanted us to truly understand there is no social hierarchies in the kingdom of heaven. He wanted us to understand what it looked like to live as though the Holy Spirit reigned in the life of a child of God. And today's scripture is foundational, not only to everything we do at SCC, but it is a picture of what I like to call biblical reconciliation. What Martin Luther King called beloved community. Ooh, there. I've preached before about the tree. You see my centerpiece is a tree. Why I have a tree tatted on my arm. I shared about that because it's prophetic fulfillment of that Jesus' life made happen and come to pass so that we can experience Pentecost, so that we can come to the table. Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23 tells us that God put cursed the lawbreaker who hung on a tree. And Jesus took on that curse of our sins. We are the lawbreakers. He took the curse off the tree and he put it squarely where it belongs on sin, on the enemy. Because Jesus' sacrifice of laying down his sinless life that we, that he might use that tree that used to be cursed to build a table, to prepare a place for us, so that when the Father calls us all home, 
there is a table with a feast for all, before all humanity to welcome us, to celebrate the, his prodigal children coming home. That's us. That deserves a hand clap of praise. Can I get an amen? amen. Do you remember? I want you to remember the term biblical reconciliation. I want you to tuck that away in your mind. I'm going to say it a couple more times. Biblical reconciliation, biblical reconciliation, biblical reconciliation. In grand terms, it is the table that is set before humanity for the bride to begin to be matured as we connect, as we grow deeply rooted in relationship with one another. And out of that love, we serve the world. Big picture. But individually prayed for us each and every one in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood that we would be one as he is one in the Father. Christ wants us to be one in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a thing. We are post-Pentecost. He was praying for us before he went to the cross. He was praying before the gift of the Holy Spirit. He was praying for us before we even knew how much we needed his love and his presence in our life. Let's read this picture of biblical reconciliation, beloved community. They devoted themselves to the apostle teachings. So this is the effect, the power of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost showed up, the cause, the catalyst. The effect was that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship. This is word koinonia in the Greek. It is deep. Can't preach on all of it today. Man, I wish I could. But to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs, wonders performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in each other's homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, not just the believers, non-believers, all the people. And the Lord added those non-believers, moved them into a place of transformation from non-believers to believers those that were being saved. And the effect over the believers in verse 42, the responders become believers by the power of the Holy Spirit that caused this hunger for the word of God, this hunger for relationship, this hunger for this kingdom culture movement that was going on around them, causing spectacles that were breaking hierarchies and social structures. My conclusion for this big picture point of view is that an encounter with the Holy Spirit is the cause of the spectacles that transforms body, soul, and spirit. A transformation of communities happen. The evidence is that this new, diverse, devoted, hungry citizenship came to the table of reconciliation. They had to go through some changes inside 
As you saw what happened, the biblical reconciliation on the, on the grandiose and the gr- large level, mac- in the micro level. But what's happening on the micro level in our hearts is that you have to push past the fear. You have to push past pride. You have to put aside your conveniences, privileges, because the Holy Spirit of God reigns in your heart. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit's handiwork. Remember, 15 cultures named in verses 8 and 9. 15 different ethnicities, nationalities. They were of one accord. Not just diversity all hanging out together, which is great. A beautiful picture on a surface level of what the kingdom of heaven is like. But they grew to a place of solidarity. Luke shares a snapshot of what the, this, this, this looks like as the beloved community is supposed to look like, this kingdom culture that Martin Luther King called beloved community. He paints this picture of us at the table. My story, my experiences, your story, your experiences, your story, your story, your story, all at the table. My story plus your story equals God's divine love story, the birth of kingdom culture. I'm coming up on a very important anniversary soon. It'll be 20 years since we've been together. 20 years we've been together. I cannot believe it. This relationship started out so sweet and innocent when I was just young and I had no idea. And then I started feeling insecure. The older I got, and then I know now when I look back, it was fear. I didn't really understand this love. How can this love let bad things, hurtful things happen in my life? I became angry hurt and bitter and I let pride slip in and tell me that I knew everything I needed to know. I don't need any of this. I made assumptions based on half-truths and bold-faced lies and I made choices that said, and I said things to people out of those choices. I've done things to people out of those choices based off of the things I assumed to be true. I fought their advances, and and despite their wooings, and their always being perfectly gentle, I ran away. At about 16, I was already checking out. But a few more years, I just went through through the motions. But the second I got a chance, I split. And by the time I was 21, I was living like I didn't even know who I was. My life was a mess. I'm 27 now. I'm in a horrible marriage. My life is a mess. I finally went back to face them. I was broken, I was angry, and I wanted answers. I did everything you taught me to do. I did everything and nothing seems to change. What do you want from me? My world was a hot mess and crumbling. The whole world was, a hot, was crumbling before all of our eyes. Because you see, it was September 11th, 2001. It's coming up on 20 years from now. Weird, huh? You can put the soak in that for a second. 9-11 was 20 years ago. 
That was the day I encountered the Holy Spirit. And I gave it all to Jesus. That was the day I surrendered. I believe I was a Christian. I was going to church. I was serving in the worship team. I was coming up with neighborhood hoops and ways to reach out to the community. I was praying for my husband to get saved. I was praying for folks to get into the kingdom. However, I was not living the life God designed for me because life reflects the consequences of the choices you make. Life is already hard. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. But 20 years later, I stand before you redeemed. I'm not telling you that my life is easy every day, but I am going to tell you that it is filled with joy and I love the journey. Praise God. Give him the glory. And it brought my journey across your path. Your story and my story. Biblical reconciliation. God's love story. He's trying to show us something today, I believe. He's trying to show the church. Macro. But he's trying to show us, the church, as individuals. I finally came to the table for myself. I was helping other people, like I said, but I never had really fully embraced all that was required to sit at the table. He wants to show me what life is like when the Holy Spirit reigns. I finally let him reign in my life and now I'm talking about a wild 20-year ride. Holy Spirit changes everything. I've learned a lot about about table ministry in my last 20 years. Since that encounter, he's turned it into a whole ministry and principles and training. Because if we knew what to do, church, I believe we'd be doing it. If we knew better, we'd do better. But we haven't really been discipled at this table ministry thing. I continue this journey and I learn more every day. Every time I sit across from someone new, people who are different than me, and the Holy Spirit keeps my posture in check. He's like, hey, get your elbows off the table. Where are your manners? And he showed me some of the causes of my problem at the table. That the reason why I couldn't come to the table is because God wanted me to face sorry, my fears. Fear tried to alter my reality. Fear, therefore, tried to alter my identity. Knowing who I am because of whose I am was his his whole MO. God does not want me to any longer live, does not want you to any longer live a life of emotional reactivity. Reacting to fear, false evidence appearing real. The devil is a liar. And the effect of the Holy Spirit on that fear, he has traded my fear for love. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in perfect love. I am loved. He always loved me. He never stopped. Truly, there is nothing I could ever do to make him stop loving me. 
It broke his heart to see me wading through the consequences of the choices I had made, the mess I had made of my life. And mixed with the fact that sin reigns in this world, and like I said, it reigns on the just and the unjust. Fear was keeping me from coming to the table. And our scripture today causes us to reflect on some context, the background of coming to the table. The first Lord's Supper, Luke 22 and 27. It connects us to that first communion meal. You've heard the stories, I know. You've read it for yourself. But this is where Jesus models the posture he prescribes for his disciples who were asking questions like, hey, Jesus, who's greater at the table? Ooh. John's description of the first communion meal portrays Jesus trying to make a point that he would Jesus as, uh, portray Jesus as a foot washer. Again, showing the prescribed posture of servanthood that he expects from his disciples. There is no pecking order. There is no status. There's no power imbalance. No ethnic hierarchies. No Ephesians 2, we've talked about that this, this spring. Paul is trying to help us understand there is no Jew or Gentile, male or female. There is no dividing wall in the kingdom of heaven. The cause of our problems, I think, I know the problem cause for me was pride. I walked away from the life God called me to. I thought that I was being told that I was less than others, and I rebelled against that. And you know, I walked headlong into a cold, cruel world, thinking that I knew everything I needed to know I could do bad by myself. Turns out, that's exactly what I did, real bad, all by myself. And whether you're making others feel less than or allowing others to make you feel less than, the root is the same. It is pride. And the effect of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit turned my pride in to humility. Couldn't do it by myself. I needed his help. I knew the truth. I read the words. But I couldn't get my outsides to match my insides without the help of the Holy Spirit. There is no place for prideful offense in the spirit-filled believer. Write that down. There is no place for the spirit of offense in a spirit-filled believer. The one person who has the right to be offended was Jesus, and he chose grace. He helped me see another issue that I was having. Sometimes we get in trouble when we rush to fix things. Pump the brakes to a man. Pump the brakes to a woman. The Holy Spirit has a plan. He's the fixer. The Holy Spirit has helped empower me to entrust my life to him, to trust the process in my own life. I don't like it when people assume things about me. I know other people in the room don't like it when people assume things about you. But I know that you have to learn 
and it's hard to get information on a need-to-know basis. Know that the Holy Spirit is doing his thing even when you can't see him. I had to learn to engage the flow of the Holy Spirit in my own life. And I'm now to the place that I don't even want to act like I know anymore. I don't want to assume anything. If I can trust the Holy Spirit in my life process, then I must also trust the Holy Spirit's handiwork is working it out in the lives of those around me. I can't assume I know their experiences. I must hear their heart and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me and to speak through me. How did he help me with this? The Holy Spirit turned my assumptions into curiosity. Assumptions are biases. When you assume something, you are being biased. We all do it, every single one of us, Pastor Irene included. It's because of the environment we were raised in, all kinds of reasons. We're all in the same boat. But it causes us to limit our fellowship. It causes us to limit our koinonia with people that share the same table. It causes us to only invite people that we desire to be at our table, people that we want to serve. That's not the kingdom way. Jesus is quite clear about who it is. He has called us the bride to serve and to invite to the table, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the prisoner. And we're to do that together. The job's too big for just one church, one person. He needs the bride. And Paul warns us about co-opting the world's values and hierarchical structures into the fellowship, specifically as it pertains to communion in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 30. Read it again, understanding that he is talking to 15 at least different nationalities sitting at the same table. Essentially, he's telling the disciples not to bring those world culture and hierarchy and devaluing other brothers and sisters into the communion space, into this holy space. They too are made, these brothers and sisters are made in the image of God. Be careful to preserve the prescribed principles of mutual submission that Jesus modeled for us for servitude, for fellowship, for remembrance, and feasting the communion table. Biblical reconciliation starts at the table. My story, your story, our story of reconciliation with God's divine love. The story, I bring mine. Do you have yours? The story of your encounter with the Holy Spirit. I want you to get out your communication cards. I'm going to sing a song. But I want you to reflect on some of the questions there. Have you even had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Can you tell me the day? He wants to show you what life is like when the Holy Spirit reigns. Maybe it's fear that's kept you from coming to the table. Remember, there is no fear in perfect love. You are loved 
He's always loved you. He's never stopped. And there's nothing you can do that can make him stop loving you. That's what your identity needs to be rooted in. That's what your relationships need to be rooted in. Deeply rooted. The same for each and every person, every culture, every ethnicity, every nationality. Maybe you have come to the table. Maybe you've had that encounter with the Holy Spirit. But maybe your posture's a little bit off. Pride and assumptions affecting your koinonia, your fellowship. That koinonia, man, I'm not going to do that. Your fellowship does not include, does your fellowship not include people who are different than you? It's not enough, you know, to simply have people of different cultures at your table. It's like your favorite math teacher, if that's such a thing. We have to do the work. We must show our work. Conversations, listening with humility and curiosity and reading and understanding and hearing through the words of books of authors of people who are different than you. I know there's not a lot of brown people in Pekin. I can give you a reading list. You can meet some of my friends. I've never met them either, but they got great stuff. Put their brains out on paper. Maybe it's hard for you to listen with curiosity as others share their story and experiences. Maybe our posture is keeping other people from wanting to sit next to us at the table. Honestly, if the Church of America, the Holiness Church especially, cannot we cannot afford to miss this key discipleship piece any longer. I believe in these days that we must be equipped and trained to lead the conversation of biblical reconciliation and model beloved community to the world. Because if we don't, there's too much at stake. Why would anybody come to the table? How could God possibly add to our numbers daily? And Paul is reminding us in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 31. So then, whoever eats of the bread or drinks from the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why so many among you are weak and sick, and several of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning regarding yourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So here's the big question. What could God do? What could the Father do in this world with a bride that is operating in one accord? What could God's Spirit do with a surrendered church fully at the table in solidarity with Him and with one another? I'm going to sing a song called He Wants It All. 
And at the end of that song, I'm going to lead us in communion. And as I sing, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit about those questions. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Perhaps we've allowed the world's values and hierarchies to enter into the kingdom culture we're called to. But I don't know about you. I want to be fully at the table. I want to be marked by obedience and prayer. I want the world to know the heart of the Father and what the kingdom of heaven is like by watching us. I want them to see that they too can come to the table of fellowship, breaking bread, teachings of the disciples in prayer, miracles, signs, and wonders. With glad and sincere hearts, doing life together. And while I'm singing, allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. Reflect on where you are with respects to the table. Remember when Pentecost broke out for you, or maybe that's today. Has beloved community and kingdom culture manifested in your life? There's a voice crying out in the silence. He's searching for a heart that will love him. He's longing for a child that will give him now, give it all. He wants it all. And there's a God that walks over.
Eric, would you hand me a communion cup off of that seat? I totally forgot. Thank you, Pastor, for breaking the spirit. <laughs> communion. Paul went on to say in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 10, 11, For what I have received from the Lord is what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he had broken it, gave thanks. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Family, at the table, let's take and eat. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. He didn't spare one drop. He gave it all. And he deserves nothing less than our all. the blood of the new covenant do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat the bread and drink of the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes take and drink with glad and sincere hearts let us pray Lord, because there is only one loaf, there's just one loaf of bread from which we all eat. We are one. This is the heart of koinonia. This is the heart of fellowship. Not just togetherness, Lord, but deeply rooted in solidarity by your blood by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping us encounter you afresh today. Whether this is our first encounter with you or we have been walking surrendered for with you for some time, may we all walk out of this place, your sanctuary, knowing full well that we are your tabernacles out in the world. Empower us to obedience and prayer. Help us devote our lives to the teachings of the disciples, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, to the Lord expecting miracles, signs, and wonders because your Holy Spirit is in it. Empower us to follow you into a world that our lives might invite your children to the table is our prayer. Your beloved community, biblical reconciliation. And we give you the glory today, Lord, with glad and sincere hearts. We thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.